0: Section 17 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave, Written by himself chapter seventeen letter from w h gatewood my reply my efforts as a public lecturer singular incident in steubenville meeting with a friend of whitfield in michigan outrage on a canal packet fruitless efforts to find my wife the first direct information that i received concerning any of my relations after my last escape from slavery was communicated in a letter from William H. Gatewood, my former owner, which I here insert word for word without any correction. Bedford, Trimble County, Kentucky. Mr. H. Bibb. Dear Sir, After my respects to you and yours, etc., I received a small book which you sent to me that I perused and found it was sent by H. Bibb. I AM A STRANGER IN DETROIT, AND KNOW NO MAN THERE, WITHOUT IT, IS WALTON H. BIBB. IF THIS BE THE MAN, PLEASE TO WRITE TO ME, AND TELL ME ALL ABOUT THAT PLACE, AND THE PEOPLE. I WILL TELL YOU THE NEWS HERE, AS WELL AS I CAN. YOUR MOTHER IS STILL LIVING HERE, AND SHE IS WELL. THE PEOPLE ARE GENERALLY WELL IN THIS COUNTRY. TIMES ARE DULL AND PRODUCE LOW. GIVE MY COMPLIMENTS TO KING jack and all my friends in that country i read that book you sent me and think it will do very well george is sold i do not know anything about him i have nothing more at present but remain yours etc w h gatewood february ninth eighteen forty four p s you will please to answer this letter never was i more surprised than at the reception of this letter It came so unexpected to me. There had just been a state convention held in Detroit by the free people of color, the proceedings of which were published in pamphlet form. I forwarded several of them to distinguished slaveholders in Kentucky. One among others was Mr. Gatewood, and gave him to understand who sent it. After showing this letter to several of my anti-slavery friends and asking their opinions about the propriety of my answering it, I was advised to do it, as mr gatewood had no claim on me as a slave for he had sold and got the money for me and my family so i wrote him in an answer as near as i can recollect in the following language dear sir i am happy to inform you that you are not mistaken in the man whom you sold as property and received pay for as such but i thank god that i am not property now but am regarded as a man like yourself and although I live far north, I am enjoying a comfortable living by my own industry. If you should ever chance to be travelling this way, and will call on me, I will use you better than you did me while you held me as a slave. Think not that I have any malice against you for the cruel treatment which you inflicted on me while I was in your power. As it was the custom of your country, to treat your fellow man as you did me and my little family, I can freely forgive you. I wish to be remembered in love to my aged mother and friends. Please tell her that if we should never meet again in this life, my prayer shall be to God that we may meet in heaven, where parting shall be no more. You wish to be remembered to King and Jack? I am pleased, sir, to inform you that they are both here, well, and doing well. They are both living in Canada, west. They are now the owners of better farms than the men are who once owned them. "'You may perhaps think hard of us for running away from slavery, but as to myself I have but one apology to make for it, which is this. I have only to regret that I did not start at an earlier period. I might have been free long before I was. But you had it in your power to have kept me there much longer than you did. I think it is very probable that I should have been a toiling slave on your plantation to-day, if you had treated me differently.' To be compelled to stand by and see you whip and slash my wife without mercy, when I could afford her no protection, not even by offering myself to suffer the lash in her place, was more than I felt it to be the duty of a slave husband to endure, while the way was open to Canada. My infant child was also frequently flogged by Mrs. Gatewood, for crying, until its skin was bruised literally purple. This kind of treatment was what drove me from home and family to seek a better home for them. But I am willing to forget the past. I should be pleased to hear from you again, on the reception of this, and should also be very happy to correspond with you often, if it should be agreeable to yourself. I subscribe myself a friend to the oppressed, and liberty forever. Henry Bibb William Gatewood Detroit, March twenty-third, 1844 the first time that i ever spoke before a public audience was to give a narration of my own sufferings and adventures connected with slavery i commenced in the village of adrian state of michigan may eighteen forty four from that up to the present period the principal part of my time has been faithfully devoted to the cause of freedom nerved up and encouraged by the sympathy of anti-slavery friends on the one hand and prompted by a sense of duty to my enslaved countrymen on the other especially when i remembered that slavery had robbed me of my freedom deprived me of education banished me from my native state and robbed me of my family i went from michigan to the state of ohio where i traveled over some of the southern counties of that state in company with samuel brooks and amos dresser lecturing upon the subject of american slavery the prejudice of the people at that time was very strong against the abolitionists so much so that they were frequently mobbed for discussing the subject. We appointed a series of meetings along on the Ohio River, in sight of the state of Virginia, and in several places we had Virginians over to hear us upon the subject. I recollect our having appointed a meeting in the city of Steubenville, which is situated on the bank of the river Ohio. There was but one known abolitionist living in that city, named George Orr. On the day of our meeting, when we arrived in this splendid city, there was not a church, schoolhouse, nor hall that we could get for love or money to hold our meeting in. Finally, I believe that the Whigs consented to let us have the use of their club-room to hold a meeting in, but before the hour had arrived for us to commence, they reconsidered the matter and informed us that we could not have the use of their house for an abolition meeting." We then got permission to hold forth in the public market-house, and even then so great was the hostility of the rabble that they tried to bluff us off by threats and epithets. Our meeting was advertised to take place at nine o'clock a.m. The pro-slavery parties hired a colored man to take a large auction bell and go all over the city ringing it and crying, Ho ye, ho ye, negro auction to take place in the market-house at nine o'clock by George Orr. This cry was sounded all over the city, which called out many who would not otherwise have been present. They came to see if it was really the case. The object of the rabble in having the bell rung was to prevent us from attempting to speak. But at the appointed hour, Brother Dresser opened the meeting with prayer, and Samuel Brooks mounted the block and spoke for fifteen or twenty minutes, after which Mr. Dresser took the block and talked about one hour upon the wickedness of slaveholding. There were not yet many persons present. They were standing off, I suppose, to see if I was to be offered for sale. Many windows were hoisted and store-doors open, and they were looking and listening to what was said. After Mr. Dresser was through, I was called to take the stand. Just at this moment there was no small stir in rushing forward, so much, indeed, that I thought they were coming up to mob me. I should think that in less than fifteen minutes there were about one thousand persons standing around listening i saw many of them shedding tears while i related the sad story of my wrongs at twelve o'clock we adjourned the meeting to meet again at the same place at two p m our afternoon meeting was well attended until nearly sunset at which time we saw some signs of a mob and adjourned the mob followed us that night to the house of mr orr and they were yelling like tigers until late that night around the house, as if they wanted to tear it down. In the fall of 1844, S. B. Treadwell, of Jackson, and myself, spent two or three months in lecturing through the State of Michigan, upon the abolition of slavery, in a section of country where abolitionists were few and far between. Our meetings were generally appointed in small log cabins, schoolhouses, among the farmers, which were sometimes crowded full and where they had no horse-teams. It was often the case that there would be four or five ox-teams come, loaded down with men, women, and children, to attend our meetings. But the people were generally poor, and in many places not able to give us a decent night's lodging. We most generally carried with us a few pounds of candles to light up the houses wherein we held our meetings after night, for in many places they had neither candles nor candlesticks. After meeting was out, we have frequently gone from three to eight miles to get lodging through the dark forest, where there was scarcely any road for a wagon to run on. I have traveled for miles over swamps, where the roads were covered with logs, without any dirt over them, which has sometimes shook and jostled the wagon to pieces, where we could find no shop or any place to mend it. We would have to tie it up with bark, or take the lines to tie it with, and lead the horse by the bridle. "'At other times we were in mud up to the hubs of the wheels. "'I recollect one evening we lectured in a little village "'where there happened to be a southerner present, "'who was a personal friend of Deacon Whitfield, "'who became much offended at what I said about his brother Whitfield, "'and complained about it after the meeting was out. "'He told the people not to believe a word that I said, "'that it was all a humbug. "'They asked him how he knew. "'Ah,' said he, "'he has slandered brother Whitfield.' i am well acquainted with him we both belong to one church and whitfield is one of the most respectable men in all that region of country they asked if he whitfield was a slaveholder the reply was yes but he treated his slaves well well said one that only proves that he has told us the truth for all we wish to know is that there is such a man as whitfield as represented by bibb and that he is a slaveholder On the 2nd September, 1847, I started from Toledo, on board the Canal Packet Erie, for Cincinnati, Ohio. But before going on board, I was waited on by one of the boat's crew, who gave me a card of the boat, upon which was printed, that no pains would be spared to render all passengers comfortable who might favour them with the patronage to Cincinnati. This card I slipped into my pocket, supposing it might be of some use to me. There were several drunken loafers on board going through as passengers, one of whom used the most vulgar language in the cabin, where there were ladies, and even vomited. But he was called a white man, and a southerner, which made it all right. I, of course, took my place in the cabin with the rest, and there was nothing said against it that night. When the passengers went forward to settle their fare, I paid as much as any other man which entitled me to the same privileges. The next morning at the ringing of the breakfast bell the proprietor of the packet-line mr samuel doyle being on board invited the passengers to sit up to breakfast he also invited me personally to sit up to the table but after we were all seated and some had begun to eat he came and ordered me up from the table and said i must wait until the rest were done i left the table without making any reply and walked out on the deck of the boat After breakfast the passengers came up, and the cabin-boy was sent after me to come to breakfast, but I refused. Shortly after this man who had ordered me from the table came up with the ladies. I stepped up and asked him if he was the captain of the boat. His answer was no, that he was one of the proprietors. I then informed him that I was going to leave his boat at the first stopping-place, but before leaving I wanted to ask him a few questions. "'Have I misbehaved to anyone on board of this boat?' have i disobeyed any law of this boat no said he have i not paid you as much as any other passenger through to cincinnati yes said he then i am sure that i have been insulted and imposed upon on board of this boat without any just cause whatever no one has misused you for you ought to have known better than to have come to the table where there were white people sir did you not ask me to come to the table Yes, but I did not know that you was a colored man when I asked you, and then it was better to insult one man than all the passengers on board of the boat. Sir, I do not believe that there is a gentleman or lady on board of this boat who would have considered it an insult for me to have taken my breakfast, and you have imposed upon me by taking my money and promising to use me well, and then to insult me as you have. "'I don't want any of your jaw,' said he. "'Sir, with all due respect to your elevated station, you have imposed upon me in a way which is unbecoming a gentleman. I have paid my money, and behaved myself as well as any other man, and I am determined that no man shall impose on me as you have, by deceiving me, without my letting the world know it. I would rather a man should rob me of my money at midnight, than to take it in that way.' I left this boat at the first stopping-place, and took the next boat to Cincinnati. On the last boat I had no cause to complain of my treatment. When I arrived at Cincinnati, I published a statement of this affair in the Daily Herald. The next day Mr. Doyle called on the editor in a great passion. "'Here,' said he, "'what does this mean?' "'What, sir?' said the editor quietly. "'Why, the stuff here, read it and see.' "'Read it yourself,' answered the editor. "'Well, I want to know if you sympathize with this nigger here.' "'Who, Mr. Bibb? "'Why, yes, I think he is a gentleman and should be used as such.' "'Why, this is all wrong, all of it. "'Put your finger on the place and I will write it.' "'Well, he says that we took his money when we paid part back. "'And if you take his part, why, I'll have nothing to do with your paper.' so ended his wrath in eighteen forty five the anti-slavery friends of michigan employed me to take the field as an anti-slavery lecturer in that state during the spring summer and fall pledging themselves to restore to me my wife and child if they were living and could be reached by human agency which may be seen by the following circular from the signal of liberty to liberty friends in the signal of the twenty eighth instant is a report from the undersigned respecting henry bibb his narrative always excites deep sympathy for himself and favorable bias for the cause which seeks to abolish the evils he so powerfully portrays friends and foes attest his efficiency mr bibb has labored much in lecturing yet has collected but a bare pittance he has received from ohio lucrative offers but we have prevailed on him to remain in this state We think that a strong obligation rests on the friends in this State to sustain Mr. Bibb, and restore to him his wife and child. Under the expectation that Michigan will yield to these claims, will support their laborer, and reunite the long severed ties of husband and wife, parent and child, Mr. Bibb will lecture through the whole State. Our object is to prepare friends for the visit of Mr. Bibb, and to suggest an effective mode of operations for the whole State let friends in each vicinity appoint a collector pay to him all contributions for the freedom of mrs bibb and child then transmit them to us we will acknowledge them in the signal and be responsible for them we will see that the proper measures for the freedom of mrs bibb and child are taken and if it be within our means we will accomplish it nay we will accomplish it if the objects be living and the friends sustain us but should we fail the contributions will be held subject to the order of the donors less however by a proportionate deduction of expenses from each the hope of this reunion will nerve the heart and body of mr bibb to redoubled effort in a cause otherwise dear to him and as he will devote his whole time systematically to the anti-slavery cause he must also depend on friends for the means of livelihood we bespeak for him your hospitality and such pecuniary contributions as you can afford trusting that the latter may be sufficient to enable him to keep the field a l porter c h stewart silas m holmes detroit april twenty two eighteen forty five i have every reason to believe that they acted faithfully in the matter but without success They wrote letters in every quarter where they would be likely to gain any information respecting her. There were also two men sent from Michigan in the summer of 1845 down south to find her, if possible, and report. And whether they found out her condition and refused to report, I am not able to say, but suffice it to say that they never have reported." They were respectable men and true friends of the cause, one of whom was a Methodist minister, and the other a cabinet-maker, and both white men. The small spark of hope which had still lingered about my heart had almost become extinct. End of chapter seventeen. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.